Welcome to How to Stop Wanting Him Back, a podcast on not just getting over your ex, but into yourself. I'm Claire, the Heartbreak Coach. Let's make what feels impossible possible. Hi, my loves. Welcome to episode 32 friendship heartbreak with my dear bestie and yes, your favorite Enneagram teacher, Liz Elkins Newcomer. She's back, you guys. I got to say, I had such a huge response from the episode that I did with her. I believe it's episode 27, where we talk about heartbreak and the Enneagram. And so many people reached out saying, how do I find my number? So you can find so many tests in the Enneagram books and online. And I found out that I was a six, well, thanks to Liz's help, but she wasn't even a teacher at that time. She was just really becoming more interested in delving into it. And if you just read up enough on the numbers, I find that's also a great way to figure out what your number is. But I was so excited to bring Liz back. I will be bringing her back again to go into more detail about heartbreak and the Enneagram with the numbers because it's such a fun topic and I'm obsessed with the Enneagram, obviously obsessed with Liz, but I really wanted to bring Liz on today to discuss heartbreak friendship. I mentioned in that last episode or the last episode where I had Liz, at the end of the episode, I did share that Liz and I experienced some heartbreak about each other with our friendship. Oh, I already have my eyes like watering and my heart just gets a little bit tight and looking at her beautiful face on the Zoom call. It's just, I do believe everything unfolds the way it's supposed to. I think it's so safe to say that our friendship is the strongest it's ever been. We've known each other now for 20 years. First of all, Liz, say hello. Hi. 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 What do you have? Do your fans have a name? Well, I call them my loves, but someone had a real problem with that. She's like, I'm not your love. I'm like, then you don't have to listen. Um, <laughs> but they're my loves and they love you. And I, Hi, love it's you. really good to be back. I'm so, I loved being on your show last time. And so I'm really, I'm excited to talk about this topic because I feel like we've just done the work. Now it's the lesson is, is what's amazing to me and and the pain has is now gone so um and what's replaced it is deeper and more real so I'm excited to to kind of talk about that whole journey me too and just so you guys know Liz and I have no specific plans for this episode except that I think what we love about the Enneagram and what we love about our own individual growth and growth together in our friendship is that there is always a story that's true for one person. And then there's a story that's true for another person and how not personal it is, but it feels so personal when we're in it. And when someone we love isn't behaving the way we want them to, for us to feel loved and for us to feel good, which of course is exactly what I do with my heartbroken clients over their romantic partners. It's really healing how not personal it is, even though it feels so personal. And I remember hearing that as I navigated through my romantic heartbreaks, 
you know, this is not personal. I, I, I believe Don Miguel Ruiz, the four agreements, one of okay. one of the agreements is don't take it personally. And I remember always rereading that and loving the intellectual idea, but still not knowing how to implement that. And I think you and I in our story is a perfect example. You did this, you said that. No, you did this and you said that. And we're going to just weave in the Enneagram because my response was totally a weak six response. So for those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, but maybe did not listen to the Enneagram episode, I am a bona fide six on the Enneagram, the loyalist slash skeptic. I can be a very black and white thinker. I think I've come a long way. Even if I automatically go to black and white thinking, I now have a process and tools to really recognize how I, I go to those places to protect myself, right? And we also have fight or flight responses when we're triggered. And I'll let Liz describe her fourness to you guys. Liz is a four on the Enneagram. Yeah, so I'm a romantic or an idealist. And whereas Claire's a head type, I am a heart type. That there's a head, there are head types, heart types, and body types, and each each of them want to avoid feeling, want to avoid something. So head types, Claire, want to avoid pain. They all have their own defense mechanisms on uh, all head types on how they avoid pain. And Claire's yours is projection, which we can talk about, like as it applies to our friendship breakup, and then heart types avoid shame. And so it's like this, this feel, they really deal with shame. So how, how they are seen by others and body types avoid being controlled by others. So when we're in relationship with other people, if I'm a body type and I feel like you're trying to control me, I'm going to defend myself in a certain way. And as a, as a type four, my defense mechanism is called introjection, which is kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but it's basically I internalize someone else's attributes. And so I blame myself for whatever goes wrong between you and me. Yeah. Which really didn't work because I was super blamey on you. So I'm blaming you. You're blaming you. That must have felt real good. So let me backtrack a little bit again, for those of you who are not familiar with how Liz and I met and I'll keep this as short as possible with, you know, my very limited skills on keeping things short. Liz and I met in a summer theater program at Northwestern university when we were 17 years old, we're now 38. And for me, it was love at first sight. And we weren't actual besties in the program. We just kind of like loved each other from afar, or I, I loved you from afar because we had very, it was like a taste of conservatory, a conservatory acting program. And so Liz and I were in very different classes all day, but I would just see her from afar and be like, she is so cute. I just like her. And we managed to just stay in touch over the years, but definitely lost touch during college. And then we serendipitously just kept bumping into each other in New York City in our early 20s. Once on the subway, I'll never forget you were wearing this gorgeous Rebecca Taylor coat, like walking down the street in the city one day. And I was just like, she is the cutest thing on the inside and out. I just love her. I love her energy. I love being around her. And then we like really decided to commit to bestie friendship. I would say like around age 27, 28, because I was dating Mark and I remember going through a lot of drama with him. And again, I'm okay with using his name because we're dear friends now and uh, we have great laughs about our drama back then. 
But I remember you and I taking a walk in Central Park and like digging deep on him. And you were just like one of my closest. And then ultimately, as you all are familiar, if you've been following my podcast for a long time, Liz was the savior of my life. I would say, well, you and Kate and Jill, the three, but I was literally living in Liz's very small apartment. I stayed there a lot and I was a fucking train wreck to say the least. And she really was there for me during my rock bottom time. If none of you are familiar with that story, check out episode five. I'll leave the link in the show notes, but that was just my most broken time. And Liz just literally took me into her small space and like put up with my really like depressing energy and was so warm, so welcome, so welcoming. We also had some like crazy cathartic laughs and you just loved me and really put up with a lot of my shit and just were, you were so patient with me. And I don't know what I would have done without you during that time. I had my parents living in Westchester, but there were so many nights I just couldn't face them because I knew it was so bad and I couldn't like let them see me the way I was falling apart. Um, I was like scared to go home. And I was, you know, really like moving between rock bottom X's place, my parents' place and Liz's place. I was just hopping around completely lost. And Liz was my savior. Before we move on beyond that story, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I was going to say that when I got back from grad school back in New York, that was 2008. And I remember, I remember us having uh drinks one night, like sitting out outside and just having wine and sharing heartbreak stories, actually. Really? Where were we? Yeah, we were on the east side. And I feel like I walked over to you and Mm -hmm. we were like drinking wine and sharing heartbreak stories. And the thing about our friendship, we both like to talk a lot and tell stories and we like, and and, I mean, we're actors, so there's always drama And so we would always be really good audiences for each other. So we would like tell the entire story and the other person would listen completely. (laughs) Captivated. Yes. Um, I don't know if enraptured is a word, but like totally caught up and, and like feeling it. And we would just kind of do that for for each other. So we definitely bonded over, you know, boys boys and heartbreak and, you know, what it was like being an actor in your twenties. And then when you stayed with me, I think one of the things to bring it back to the Enneagram is that like one thing that fours are really great at is like the depth, the deep, dark feelings. That is a place that we feel really comfortable and really safe. I never felt like you were like, like it was never too much. It was just, it was, um, well, I say it was never too much, but that's not totally true because there is part of the friendship breakup has to do, has to do with that, uh, which we can talk about in, in a minute. But it was like, I had so much empathy and compassion for you and knowing that, knowing the place that you were in, it, it was easy to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, and then, then it then wasn't. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got old. It got real old real fast. I get it. I get it. I think it's um, something that in my own personal growth, I talk so much about my personal growth and my love life, but um, my personal growth in my friendships is really huge to me. And even like, I've been living in LA for the last six years now, 
my very, very dear friend, Heather, and I think Aisha um, would say that I'm like way more tolerable than I even was six years ago. Like I still was in it. So that rock bottom relationship ended, you know, just over eight years ago. But two years later, when I headed to LA, I was still a mess. And part of the pain of wanting to leave New York was also our friendship, you know, and I don't say that meaning you made me want to leave New York, but like all of it, I was just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like this place, like I can't, you know? And, um, so that's why it's so, it's so, what is the word? I don't even have the word just to have you on and have this conversation. And I think so many people, who are moving through heartbreak with a partner can also relate to heartbreak with friendships. Because I think a lot of people going through drama with their romantic relationships, like how you are in one area of your life is how you are in other areas. Like there's usually drama. I find this with my clients. There's usually some upset with their friends at the same time, because we're believing that other people should meet our needs ultimately. So with that, I, you know, and honestly, as I said, you guys, we haven't like, I have not, I've literally not done any kind of, Ooh, what point do I want to hit? Cause I wanted it to be an organic, real natural conversation. And Liz and I, as, as she just said, we just flow and listen and are captivated by each other's stories and could talk for hours. I mean, pre your babies, we would like literally have like five hour phone sessions. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know even know where, to, I guess you meeting Michael, right? And falling in love, I think was a big turning point for you and your energy was going elsewhere, right? And I think, you know, looking back at the time, I was like, yes, like she's fallen in love. But I, I also think like, one thing that I think my, for you know, I, I rip on the Catholic, Irish Catholic upbringing all the time. But I think one thing that I really do take from my Irish Catholic upbringing is that my parents always taught me, like, always be happy for others and wish for others what you would wish for yourself. And like being an actress and being friends with so many actresses, I really didn't have like the jealousy competition gene or trait in my personality. Like I was, I actually think I was so much of the cheerleader on the sidelines for my friends that I didn't, I saw what was possible for them and I didn't see what was possible for me. That like, yes, you go meet the person who you love. You go succeed and and book all these jobs and I'll just keep trying and hustling and create a lot of drama. But like, I do believe that I very much had in my brain, like it's just not in the cards for me to have those things. And so I'll just like be that great cheerleader. And who knows, maybe one day, because I believed everything happened outside of me. But saying that, I think looking back, there must have been a part of me that I was like, well, now I just don't have her mostly to myself. But I don't think I consciously could admit that to myself at that time, because admitting that would mean I'm flawed. And I mean, if it wasn't clear enough that I was flawed back then, I think looking back, just as I'm saying this to you, I think totally, I felt like I was losing you. And and, and I know we don't even need to, I, I would prefer not to just because I'm so not in about the minutia of, and then you said this, and then I said that, because that part doesn't matter. But I think it was something to the effect of like things started happening and like you felt like, I wasn't showing up enough. And I was like, are you kidding me? And to that effect, right? But also, and that's why I'm so careful with the heartbreak story. It's like, yeah, I'll give a little bit of detail, but like who said what and who did what 
really doesn't matter at the end of the day because it's my shit and your shit. Right. Right. But ultimately, like now when I look back at that, I mean, I think that that's what was happening, right? That I was like, oh, now she doesn't have this time for me. And Michael at the time was living in LA. So you'd be gone a lot. Right. And like, it was just like, I definitely think looking back, I'm like, I don't have her anymore, but I never would have admitted that to you. Yeah. I think that one, one thing that I'm really good at is, and, and this also gets back to love languages, but like time, quality time is probably my primary love language. Mm -hmm. And so that is really how I show up and give my love like full force. So with, with my friendships, that, that is what I do. So I'm like, I am there a hundred percent. And, but then one thing I've always had trouble with is like how to balance and how to give love, you know, to everyone when, when it's, it's, it's hard for me to kind of almost multitask or share. So sometimes, and this is not, this has happened in other friendships, not just my relationship with you. It's, it's almost like I, that that, that, that Midler, like you must've grown cold in my shadow, but like all of a sudden, like I give my sunshine to someone else and I, it's hard for me to like spread the love. Yeah. um, And I think I'm just a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for you too, what you were talking about back then was boundaries, right? Like, yes. even though you were giving me like your space, which Liz lived in the most gorgeous Upper West Side studio apartment. And she had this loft and her, I mean, every like thing you touched was just like a little museum that like perfectly represented Liz but it was a small space for two people to be like in a lot. And she never once didn't make me feel welcome or loved. And I can only imagine now, now looking back, like even with your deep well of love and patience and compassion for me, like everybody needs alone time and to go inward. And I mean, granted, again, I wasn't living there absolutely every single night, but I was there a majority of nights. But on top of just balancing other relationships, just like also, I remember you saying, and I remember you saying this about other relationships in your life. Like, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. I don't think you would, but just, it's really challenging for you to establish boundaries and challenging for you to establish boundaries and be okay with some, with certain people being upset about it. Yes. Boundaries is huge. And I think I think when it really gets down to it and you have called me like an angel for that Mm -hmm. time, you've used that word a lot. And that is so fours, there's like an idealized self of who I want to be. And if I had to like put that under an umbrella, it would be angel. (laughs) Like that's what I, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So you would tell me like, Oh, you're an angel. Mm -hmm. and you're my angel and I wanted to be that Mm -hmm. so much and so in my my mind well angels don't say like they don't set boundaries angels Mm -hmm. now the true angels do but in my mind I didn't feel like I I could set boundaries not only with you but also with this new relationship I was I was feeling so there was maybe some like messy or ugly parts of me that were like not angelic, that were maybe selfish or that were maybe unevolved or, or 
that I felt like I had, I had done enough. I think a lot in credit and my husband and I talk about this because he doesn't think, I feel like I've built up credit with people so that then if I do something wrong, I've bought myself like a pass. Mm. Like surely you'll forgive me for being selfish in this new relationship because I've proven to you that I'm here for you, that I love you. Does that make sense? 100%. I'm just thinking, do I do that? I think so. If I've shown up a lot for a person, I'm like hoping they'll give me a free pass. I think I do that, but I never consciously thought of that. Yeah. So I felt like with you, I was like, I have, I like my jar is full. Fair enough. Fair enough. So now I'm going to like be, and And that's part of my relationship with my husband, honestly, is figuring out how to set boundaries with him, how to not be the ideal Liz with him as well. And it still is, is part of my, um, so it's really, it's really part with every relationship is how do I be the, the real me and not the ideal me and let that person and not take on more responsibility than, than is mine to take, like not to take responsibility for what is mine and not for the other person's and let them have a reaction. If I hurt them, you know, obviously take responsibility, take responsibility, but, but there was so much almost controlling that I was trying to do so that you would still think of me as that angel and not admit to you some of the things that I thought were unacceptable or unlovable as a friend. So it was easier for me to just sever it and just have space because, um, and yeah, then it gets into this whole story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story, like the actual reason that we like the, the, the catalyst had nothing to do. It was like pent up resentments, right. That we were suppressing that, were you about to say something? No, I, I was just going to say that so much of it is, is and, and my husband and I talked about this early on in, in our relationship, that we have these wounds from other relationships, you know, in our lives. And whether it's family or early friendships or early romantic relationships, where if someone hurts us, then there's something in our bodies that like, it's like, this is what I need to do to protect myself, or this is what I need to do in order to get love and not let that person, mm-hmm. you know, think this about me. And so, so it's so interesting because of- you actually kind of did a sixth thing, right? For so long, you're like, I'll just be everything I think she needs me to be. And then you just like hit a point and you're like, I'm out. You like literally went and did the opposite, right? Like black yes, and white. And it was about the, it, to me, instead of it being about fear, it was about shame. Mm. That if you saw the real me, then, and it doesn't make any sense logically, because it would be better for you to see the real me than like not to see me at all. But, and by the way, I do want to say, even without getting into what exactly happened, I, now when I look back on like, you know, of course this happened via email. It didn't happen through like a healthy conversation, guys, that Liz 
I think we did, or actually in fairness to you, I think you tried calling and I, I wouldn't take the call or something, or we hung up abruptly or something. And then you, whatever you wrote me, I like, I don't remember the exact words. I hope you don't either, but I remember I wrote you something back and I couldn't even tell the audience or you the minutia of it, but I do remember I like gave you a list of things of how you didn't show up for me, which must've been like a total shame like a shameful experience to read. Right. And then like, I feel like I like, you know, again, as Liz is saying, whatever your number is on the Enneagram for me, fear is my, what is it? What do you call it? Fear and avoiding pain, but like fear is, I call it like the underbelly, but it's your, right, but that's what sixes or, are trying to move sorry. through and you're trying to move fours are trying to move through shame. And when I look back, shame and distrust, yeah. shame and distrust. Dis- distress like distress. From, from from a connection like being separated from someone that they love mm-hmm. so I'm sure anybody who's listening or if you've listened up until this episode 32 we all have the thing that keeps coming up for us to grow mm-hmm. through right so so Liz is saying and as you beautifully explained in the beginning but just to circle back to that it's like even for me, as I'm now dating again, it's like the same old fears come up in my brain about, oh, well, he could break my heart or let's look how I can put out the potential fires and the red, like see the red flags so that I don't miss anything. Like my brain does that. And now I have the tools to move through it and still remember that finding love is way more worth it and me moving through the fear and managing my head right because a six is a head type as Liz has said and I have a client who's a full-blown six on the Enneagram and she still has that like even though she's in her ideal relationship and this guy is amazing she's like we just re-upped for another six months because she's like I want to just be in the relationship and move through my fear because I know really that it's not about him. It is about me. Right. But that like these curveballs are going to keep being thrown to her to help her heal that, to help her heal and like not, you know, give into the urge of the fight or flight response. Right. And I wrote you this email as another, you know, that the universe like gave you my email where I like read you the riot act of how I think you didn't show up, which I can only imagine ultimately made Liz say, look, I think this is where our friendship should end. And there's more to this story, but let's just touch on that part. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was proof and we always find proof where we're looking for it. Yes, Liz. Thank you for saying that. If you believe guys in LA suck, if you believe New York city dudes suck, if you believe it's hard to find a man after you turn 40, if you're going to prove yourself right. Yes. So it was, it was like that just manifested right for me. And for me, the way I took it was, I immediately was like, why, why did this happen? And what did I do? And how was I responsible for this heartbreak? And what work do I need to do? That's just, that's naturally where, where it goes, but it's also, that's naturally where my mind goes but it's because I have trouble accepting when I do things that, that aren't completely altruistic or aren't completely angelic. It's hard to be like, yeah, I'm fucking angry. Yes, I don't want to talk about your heartbreak anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I, can we talk about something else? It was so hard for me to just say, like, hey, can we talk about something else? Mm-hmm. 
But then, it, you know, I think about boundaries and I think about your personal space. And this is just this is just for me. And I think about like having having just like a little halo around my space and how often I just like open it up and I either go beyond my mind into someone else's space or I just let them come completely in. And when it gets, and then it gets to a point where I'm just like, no, I need to create, I need to create a boundary because I no longer feel um, like I'm taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. That is really hard for me to do, but something I've learned even post having babies. Like I had met with my, my doctor right after having a baby and she was like, you have to take care of yourself like you need to and your kids need you to take care of yourself such Um, a great doctor (laughs) even without Uh, kids my best friend Aisha last night you know I've been talking to her about all this stuff that's happening with my business and the amount of people I'm coaching and all the excitement and she was like I say this to you as my sister you have got to really commit to your self-care. And I'm like, you know, I do, (laughs) but like, it's another level of self-care, like regular acupuncture cupping, regular timeout naps, like that, that those are not indulgences. Those are necessary for me to be healthy. And I have to do that for my clients. So I love that your doctor was saying that. I think anyone who's listening to this, whether you're a four, a six, a nine, or a two, that time. And you might be so daunted by what being alone and still and doing nothing actually looks and feels like. We were laughing not to go too off, but um, last weekend we were with my business coach who flew out 10 of her clients or I was the 11th, but I drove to do testimonials. And she put us up in this amazing house with a pool. And, you know, once you did your testimonial and did your photo shoot, like you were good to go. And all of us like arranged our coach calls. I maybe like had two while I was in Hermosa. And then all of us were like, wait, we're just doing nothing now. I was so uncomfortable with just lying by the pool. And I'm like, I just want to share. I'm really uncomfortable. It was so hilarious. And it took me a day to be like, oh, and now we live in these fast, this fast-paced world where so much shit is coming to us at our fingertips and we're learning horrific news and we're hearing from exes we don't want to hear from or who we thought we were over. And then all of a sudden, or an ex-best friend, right? You just like are, you know, moving along and it's, or we see an Instagram post of a group of friends hanging out and they didn't invite you, right? Like that there's just so much happening quickly where you're just minding your own business, going about your day. And then you can really get triggered over anything. And so how important it is to just carve that time out to give yourself the love that no one else can give you. Yes. What's the Byron Katie quote um, about 99% of the time? Like When you argue with reality, you suffer, oh. but only 100% of the time. Oh, yes. There's, there's that one. quote. And then there's, there's another quote that is almost on the same principle. I'm not going to be able to think of it on the spot, um, yeah. but I'll get if I, if it What's comes the gist? to great. The gist is that conflict will always come up mm-hmm. because relationships are hard and it's, it's our stuff is coming up. So we start with our, I mean, you have to start with yourself every time, every time there's a, a heartbreak, I think whether it's with a friend or 
uh, or conflict or, or with a romantic relationship, I think that you really can trace it back to how you feel about yourself. And our relationships are put in our path to teach us the lessons that we need to, that we need to learn. And give us mirror reflections of ourselves, right? Like the people we love the most, the people who trigger us the most are mirror reflections of parts we're not owning of ourselves, which you introduced me with Debbie Ford's The Dark Side of Light Chasers. Yes. I think that so much of what I couldn't accept was, was that, yes, I can be angelic and yes, I can be selfish Mm -hmm. or I can be not patient or I can be angry. And I think the more you can get comfortable with with accepting all of those parts of yourself, then you won't get triggered by that person who says like, Hey, Hey, look all the ways that you haven't showed up for me. Your, your email to me. Maybe I could be like, yes. And I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't show up for you in those ways. I, I know I've shown up for you in these ways and I, I'm not perfect. I'm a human. I'm trying this out. Right. But I like, couldn't even say that Mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, if I, if I, if I'm not perfect, I'm not worthy. Mm. So I think with our friendships, just because we're, you know, specifically talking about heartbreak with friendships, we expect different things out of our friends and we expect, I mean, I don't, this is just how I expect. I expect when I have, I need a friend and it's a real connection that I will be friends with that person forever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I actually go through the same process in my friendships as I go through in my, as I have gone through in my romantic relationships, where it's like in the beginning, there's that wanting to please and impress. This is again, just for me, but like wanting to avoid conflict. And commit to being the best version of yourself. Yes. And then you're afraid of that. That conflict is, oh, like, is this going to mean we're not going to be friends? Well, we experience the biggest conflict, which is like being out of each other's lives for several years. But because we both did the work, then when we came back, it was it was like a more a deeper and a more true friendship mm-hmm. where now I can say things like, hey, you know, say things that I think are not not nice or angelic to say. <laughs> um, it was so hard for me, but now I know that you're not going to not accept me or not approve of me, or even if it, am I making sense? 100%. You can be more authentically yourself. Yes. And I am doing so much work and have been doing so much work. on being more authentically myself, which is, I mean, we were kind of the perfect storm because my way was to point fingers and blame and be the victim, even to someone like you, who I did see as an angel in my life. Right. So I was really comfortable blaming and being right and being the victim and anger is definitely my go-to defensiveness is definitely my go-to. And I think I always labeled myself as like, I'm a really good friend. I'm just a really good friend. And I just like, but because I know I'm a really good friend, like I didn't do anything wrong here. And I think it's really, you know, and I, I hear my clients label themselves all the time, but I know I'm a good friend, but like, how is it possible that you just might not have been in that moment? Right. Cause we're just not always going to be the perfect partners, the perfect friends. I'm not going to be the perfect coach. They're not going to be the perfect client. I'm not going to be the perfect client to my coaches. Right. And if we can just embrace those 
and be aware and take ownership without shaming me, without blaming the other person and just look at it. I just said to my last two clients today, can we look at this with curious non-judgment? Curious non-judgment. This is what this is bringing up for me. And now for me, I process so much of my judgments by myself or with my coach. I really like for someone who had no problem being like, you did this, you said this, no, no, no. And maybe it's me being the product of like the baby girl with the two older brothers. And my dad just like really let me fight my own battles because he wanted me to be a strong woman, which I do really appreciate. And I do think him letting me talk back to like, my brothers are five and seven years older than me. Like they were significantly bigger than me. I will never forget. I called one of my brothers a fat asshole and then went running up the stairs and he still got me. He like whacked me on my tailbone and I could not walk for like a week. Classic dysfunctional Irish Catholic household. Um, But you know, that like, how do you rein it in? Because I think it's like, you were like, oh, how do I finagle being perfect? Right. And my way was just like, I know what's perfect and I know what works for me and what doesn't and never saw that I could potentially like be the person in the wrong. Right. And I think, and forgive me if this sounds defensive. I just think I truly was in such a fucked up place that like, I felt everyone was out to get me and everyone was out to hurt me. Um, so I'm not saying that to blame rock bottom X either. Again, I always say this, you guys who are listening, I do not okay his behavior. I don't okay the behaviors that I'm aware of that he's exhibiting today, which I have been privy to. And no, I'm not looking for it. We are not connected on social media or anything like that. Um, There's a situation that um, my name was brought into where I had to learn um, unfortunate information that makes me aware of the fact that he does continue his antics. And so with that, I still don't blame him for my reaction. And I certainly don't blame Liz for my reaction to what was happening with her, obviously today, but I was very comfortable in the blame game. So we were like a recipe for a perfect storm. And that's, I feel like that's how it always happens. And so we, I think it could have gone in a multiple <laughs> of ways, but, but let's say one of two ways we could have never reconnected. Like we could have just ended our friendship and that would have been that. Well, I'm curious. Why do you think we didn't? Like, why do you think that we came back together? Because some there are heartbreaks with friendships that don't ever come back together. Well, I do have a friend who I lost from that time. It was on the demise and then ultimately came to an, a, an end when I was in L.A. And that really bummed me out. But I definitely felt, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but I'm obviously not going to say who. But um, I always felt she had very much big sister energy with me and... I loved her. I still love her, still love her family and think of them often. Um, But I do know that I was, again, fucked up and brutal to be around her. For sure. I tortured her as well. She was a significant person moving through. And even her husband was amazing to me. And my parents like really pointed that out because the first time that I moved out of Rock Bottom X's place, my dad was driving me home in the snow and her husband called to be like, this is fucking fucked up and I will fucking kill him. Like he was amazing. Like (laughs) he was amazing. He wanted to kill my ex, but you know, he was really like an amazing big brother to me. But I do think like the reason why that 
ended well a i am aware that i drove her crazy and again i think the 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 catalyst of the breakup wasn't really the reason for the breakup i think it was everything building towards that but i know for me my clarity on that was like i was a very different person when i met her at 24 and i was like growing and figuring out what my beliefs were and they were changing and shifting and i don't think that they were in as much alignment with hers when we had met in the beginning i definitely like had different views on sex i was very like you know, I need to be in this like serious monogamous relationship and all the things. I still think sex is very important. And I, sex is not something that I take lightly, but I don't think it, I was very black and white about sex, right? Things like that, religion, spirituality, all those things. I was definitely on the more conservative side of that. And now I could not be like more opposite of that. So I think I felt a lot of judgment, even if she wasn't doing it, right? Like looking back, I just felt like I was always doing things wrong and I was driving her crazy. And then there was like an abrupt, I saw that she defriended me on Facebook and I was like, I guess that means we're not friends. I had no idea. I knew she was upset and I wanted to let like, what is the dust settle? The dust settle. I'm like using my hand for dust. Yes. <laughs> the dust settle. And I thought I'm going to let the dust settle here because I could either fight or flight. Like I could either really over apologize or run and I didn't feel, I was like, I'm pausing here. And I think, I don't know if she noticed I was pausing and thought I wasn't going to respond or whatever it was. Right. And yeah. I just feel like, yeah, it wasn't working for either of us. And I don't think we were as similar as we were when we first became friends. And I don't think any of this like big sister stuff works for me anymore. And like, I think I had another dynamic with another friend like that, like save me, save me, tell me what to do. And I would put all the power of what I should do and what these big sister energy people were telling me to do. But I also felt if I didn't do what they told me to do, I was bad in their eyes or failed them in their eyes, which again is my shit, not their shit. But I didn't feel like I could. I, I felt like as much as you were there for me and everything, I never felt like big sister because I think we met at the same age and, you know, we are the same age and we met as kids really teenagers and I think you and I just speak the same language so much and I think the biggest thing for me which is getting back to our so that's why I think like you and I did circle back because it was clear you did the work and it's clear I was doing the work and I know I did a lot of healing and therapy with my amazing Ashley Graber she was on the last episode I'll put a link there as well Liz did circle back a few months after she um, said, this is where our friendship should end. And I was devastated, but I also was like, I'm not going to, I thought like, wow, okay. I believed you. I did think like she's done, but I also, I think I wrote you back just being like, this is not what I wanted, but I, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. And then Liz did circle back months later as I was moving to LA and I told her like, I'm so happy to hear from you, but I just need a minute because I'm moving And then I like processed it more and more. And the more I thought about it in my own brain, right? And again, I was still moving through the trauma of the abuse, like in therapy, right? And I'm still like working through all of that. Not Liz's abuse, the abuse of my rock bottom ex. And so every single time I thought about putting my fingers to the keys to say, let's have a call. And my anger was just taking over and my lack of trust was taking over, which is so crazy to me now, because like, obviously looking at you again, just with that other friendship, it's my shit and my story. But every time I thought about it, I was like, no, you broke up with me. You ended, I was totally still finger pointing. Right. And 
I couldn't get over my own. And I think this is like my stubborn Irish. Nope, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm going to hold this grudge. And then I wrote you again. I said I wasn't going to get into the minutia. It's more about like, I don't mind talking about my negative parts. In this. I just don't want to like shame me or shame you. But I think that these are important parts of the story that I wrote you again to say, I know I told you that we would connect, but I just can't bring myself to it. I'm just like not in a place. And another thing too, was that I was moving to LA to start fresh. And every time I brought my fingers to the keys, I felt like I was rehashing just like the shit that I wanted to get away from. And the fucked up part is you were the savior, the angel. And it was just, I was like, you were guilty by association with all of it. Right. Despite the fact that you couldn't have loved me and given me more, like truly. Then ultimately I find out Liz is engaged and I was really happy for you. And I also struggled so much with like, this is just weird. If I reach out to her just to be like, I just wanted to say congratulations. I just had all the reasons why you wouldn't want to hear from me. And why would I, why would I taint her happy time Like you, you know, and then there was another part of me that was just like, how could you not be at her wedding? And then another part of me um, was the judgment because we have friends and I know people judged me for what happened with you and I, and I felt shame to see those people at the wedding, you know? And also I was like, I don't know if I would even be welcome, right? Like before by you, let alone, and what would your parents think? Like I, cause I love Liz's parents and they've been so great to me and I've loved them over the years. And I just feel like, I know her family. And I was like, I felt, so it's like, guys, as you're listening to this, it's like, I came up with all the fear around what others would think of me. I believed this would taint Liz's happy time. And I was just like, I'm just, I'm just going to fucking leave it. Like, I'm just going to leave it. And it was also easier to leave it in a sense as well. That would be me becoming really vulnerable with you. That would be me saying all the things and having to admit my part in it. And if you didn't want to, it wasn't that I had, yeah, this is interesting as I'm saying all of this, it wasn't that I was afraid to admit where I was wrong because I was very clear on it by that point, (laughs) but I was afraid of rejection for the trying of it, the trying to that like you ended it with me, but then you came back. I said, give me time. Then I was like, never mind. And then if I reach out to you again and you're like, Claire, this is a circus like, take care. I'm at a happy time. I don't want to open this again. I was like, I'm just going to be heartbroken again. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, oh, it makes me so emotional. <laughs> you were pregnant. And I just thought, <laughs> this is like the most emotional I've ever been on this show. I just thought, like, all I wanted you to know was that I was sorry. And, um, that like, and I want people to hear this if you're fighting with someone and I can even come to mind people who I love, who I'm harboring resentment against, like, would you rather not try and just have them know that you're really sorry? Like it, it's never too late. Rock Bottom X is people who are listening, who are tracking my podcast right now to see if I'm going to use his name for defamation because I know you're out there because I know people like if he ever literally the person who like destroyed my psyche. And I know that that's a thought and I gave him the power to do that. But like the person who I let abuse me, like if he ever, even on his deathbed, just admitted his wrongdoings and admitted his calculations and admitted 
and said, I'm sorry, I literally would forgive. Like it is never too late for, and I know you can forgive without an apology and that's a whole other podcast episode, but like you really, like it it is never too late to just tell the people who you love that you love them. And even more so you guys, I was, then I felt more shame for having missed her wedding Like, how can we continue a friendship and have this elephant in the room? And when I came to her beautiful house and like saw her wedding album that I wasn't a part of, you know, that like, like who cares? Would you rather just have the person in your life now who loved you and was there for you through the worst time of your life? Like just for her to know, I'm sorry. And I'm here if you would ever want to talk. And I don't blame you if this is like too much back and forth. And now here we are. And like, I just couldn't, like, I think it still unfolded exactly the way it was supposed to. And maybe, maybe I'll circle back to Hannah B from The Bachelorette, who was talking about her ridiculous antics with Luke P. And she said, you know, I'm sorry that America had to watch him for too long. But if there was one woman out out there who watched my, you know, dance with him and moving through the abuse to just see how, how, like what not to do, right? So even like, if it was all for this, for anyone, I'm sure there are so many people who are reading the title and were like, I definitely have to listen to this episode about friendship heartbreak. Like maybe you don't have to be the best friends. Maybe the ending isn't that you guys end up talking and you do have to move through that pain, but that you know that you tried your best at the time. And maybe like, I know Liz and I have a really happy ending and our friendship really, I, I think I can speak for you in saying that we really are stronger than ever. And weirdly, we talk way less than we have. But when we see each other, literally, I'm like, our catch-ups are talking for an audience <laughs> these days, you know, that it's just undeniable that like, if shit hits the fan, we've got each other. And um, yes, our friendship is the strongest it's ever been and the most real and transparent and all the things. And you may not get that outcome, but it is so worth it to know that you've tried. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I do. I, I think that it is not worth trying with everyone. You know, if it if it's if that person is abusive or if that person, it, you know, that that friendship hasn't done the work and it would just be a perpetual cycle. I think the fact that you and I had had gone away and we did our own work on ourselves is is why we were able to come back together. And I literally have no resentment in my body. Like I don't feel an ounce. Well, I'm Irish, so I still have a little resentment. (laughs) But remember that one thing you said? (laughs) (laughs) But I've also forgiven myself, Claire. I've also been like- Really, I have more cleaning up to do around your wedding. Because every time we talk about your wedding, I'm like, I hate myself. It was really fun. (laughs) Okay, I get it. I saw the pictures. (laughs) No, but I think that like forgiving, forgiving yourself and doing your work and then being able to, yeah, meet the other person freshly. (laughs) If if you can do that, then hopefully you can have the same happy ending as we had. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good point, Liz, because when we did eventually get on the phone and we were both so nervous, we were like, who gets to see? Like we didn't know what to say, but I think it's really important for the listeners to know that we didn't rehash the minutia. It was just like, I think I started shocker because I dominate conversation. 
I just started with, I'm sorry. I think I remember that. I was like, I just want to say, I am sorry. There was no, you did this and that one time and you didn't choose me. You chose Michael. There was none of that bullshit. It was like, no, that literally does not matter. Right. And so it was like, here's what I was going through. This was what I was experiencing. I took that out on you. I wanted to get the fuck out of New York. I put you, you know, lumped you in with him. It was all heartbreak. It was all bad, depressing, everything. And I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry I said, let's talk soon. And then I said, never mind. Like that to me is even worse than the actual thing that happened, you know? And like to give you the hope that we were going to heal. And then I was like, never mind. You know, and I really, that wasn't a fuck you at that point. That was literally like, I don't have it in me to have like another conversation with someone who I loved and then like felt like I lost at that point in time now, but it wasn't like, but really Liz, like, I hope you've done this work on yourself. (laughs) You know, it was coming from a complete place where we were both like, I am so sorry. I love you so much. Here we are. Here's what I've learned and grown on. I was like, Liz, I have been in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, um, is there anything else you want to say real quick or um, have we covered it all? I just think it's, there's a little bit of a dance of a, of a balance of like, what, what's my fingerprint on this? Where, where's my part in this heartbreak? And then it's also like the other person also needs to do their, like each, each person has to do that for themselves mm-hmm. and own your stories, mm-hmm. owning your, like, what is my, what am I? I had a whole story about, about you and you had a whole story about me that wasn't true. So then it's also like allowing the other person when, maybe before you get to the, like, maybe when you're on the, on the verge, it's like checking, checking your story with the person. Cause I think a lot of times we have an unnecessary heartbreak because we're just telling ourselves a story that is not true. So you should either call Liz to hire her to learn your number in the Enneagram and how your stories about yourself and others aren't true or call me if you're moving through any kind of my specialty in case you didn't pick up on it is romantic heartbreak. And I coach single women um, working on finding love and people who are in relationships that are really challenging them and figuring out how to navigate through being your best self and optimizing the relationship. And I think the Enneagram is an amazing tool for that. If the Enneagram is something that you feel is way more up your alley, I'll have Liz's information and website in the show notes. Um, But I think that that is such a good point is owning your story through and through. And I think the last thing that I'll say, and then we got to wrap up here is not only owning your story, but I think the same for heartbreak in romantic relationships too. It's like, will I ever see him or her again? And will we ever talk again? And is it the death of the relationship? Who knows? There are two men in my life who I had very strong romantic feelings for. One I dated for a long, you know, a long time. And then another, it was just like an intense six week thing. But like, I was, you know, really caught up in all of it. And there was a lot of drama and all the things. And now they're like really good friends who've done a lot of work on themselves. I've done a lot of work on myself, but no one could have predicted the friendships that had blossomed. It's just go do your own work and watch the magic that unfolds. Or maybe you create an even healthier friendship with someone else, or you create an even healthier romantic relationship with someone else. Just go do the work. But when your brain goes to, I'm doing the work, but are they doing the work? Stop. 
Stop saying that to yourself. It's not your business who goes off and does and doesn't do the work. We're just here to say, go do the work on yourself. So with that, love you guys so much. Liz, I love you in case that was not conveyed. Thank you so much for gracing all of us with your presence. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Until next time. Hey, love, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down and would like to deepen this work with me as your coach, go to clairetheheartbreakcoach.com forward slash work dash with dash me and apply for my six month one-on-one coaching program where we'll not only heal your heart, but take your entire life to the next level. I can't wait to read your application.